0: Hey there, folks, and welcome to another episode of West Obsessed, where the editors and writers of High Country News discuss the region's most important and interesting stories. I'm Brian Calvert, the Managing Editor of High Country News, and I'm here today with contributing editor Sarah Gilman. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Brian. And with correspondent Ben Goldfarb. Hi, Ben. Hey, Brian. Today we're going to talk about this really obscure but really interesting and controversial federal agency called Wildlife Services. Uh, Basically, Wildlife Services is the agency responsible for getting rid of predators and, I guess, pests. It's under the U.S. Department of Agriculture, and it has a long history of killing. So today we want to really take a look at them because if you're a rancher, you really kind of rely on them. But if you're an animal rights activist, they aren't really your favorite people. So we at the magazine have been looking at them because they do a lot of killing of predators, uh, but they also do a lot of research into non-lethal predator control. So the problem is they don't really use that research as much as some people would like them to. Uh, Ben, you spend a good amount of time reporting on wildlife services over the last year. Who are they exactly and what do they do?
1: Right. So Brian, as you said, they're the agency that is tasked with with controlling problematic wildlife. They're a branch of the USDA. And I think it's important to remember that that Wildlife Services does lots of kind of unambiguously useful and non-controversial things like controlling the spread of rabies, keeping birds off runways. Uh, combating invasive species um, but the, the, the controversial part obviously is that, is that they do kill lots of native wildlife especially native carnivores um, especially coyotes that's that's the species most controlled by wildlife services and they do so at the behest oftentimes of ranchers who basically want these predators gone because they want to be able to run their livestock uh, in in peace um, and there's lots of controversy over the control of predators to to protect livestock is scientifically justified and whether it's ethically justified and uh, that's that's run them afoul of conservationists for going on a hundred years now
0: right so we spent a good amount of time in our magazine actually talking about them um sarah you were the editor on that story um why do you think wildlife services is kind of worth keeping an eye on especially for people living in the west
2: Brian, over the last 40 years, we as a society have done a lot of rethinking uh, and thinking about our relationship with the natural world and particularly with wild animals, in part because we realized kind of early on that we could make them disappear altogether. And in part because they're kind of an easy way to relate to ecosystems and ecosystems health. uh, And, um, you know... In the 70s, we had, came up with the Endangered Species Act and then also you know, began tasking land management agencies with conservation and managing ecosystems and conserving wildlife and maintaining viable populations of species. Um, and so as these sort of ideas have caught on with other federal agencies, wildlife services in a lot of ways seemed kind of like uh, an arcane artifact from you know the late 1800s and early 1900s where our primary relationship with wildlife is killing it, you know so I think that that is a very good reason to pay attention to the agency and what it's doing because it in many ways it contravenes national and local sentiments about what you know what makes nature worthwhile and what our relationship with with nature should be. Um, and that's also why it's so controversial because in many ways society has moved in a different direction than the services it provides. So while folks in rural areas I think still see, the lethal activities that Wildlife Services carries out as as valuable in ways people in urban areas don't, I think the the prevailing sentiment now is that Wildlife Services does things in a way that's backwards and not consistent with the science or with our values as a society.
0: Right. So in one way, we have this agency that has been slow to catch up with the sort of advancing um, ideas about our relationship with the natural world or the non-human world, uh, especially Predators, um, and that really plays out in wildlife services with the coyote. And uh, you know, Ben, we talk a lot in this story about coyotes. Why are they so sort of emblematic of this problem?
1: Well, coyotes are they're uh, they're unbelievably fascinating animals, right? I mean, they're they're incredibly successful uh, at a time when. So much wildlife around the world is is imperiled or or going extinct. You know, coyotes have just they've just increased their their range dramatically. They're very good at using human resources. They thrive in suburban and urban areas. There are coyotes in Chicago and New York City and all of these all of these places. Um, and you know, for that reason, they as as their populations have spread. You know, they they frequently come into contact with uh with with humans and with our with our infrastructure and with our with our livestock and with our farms um, and you know and again for that for that reason they're they're despised by many i think because they're this ubiquitous predator that uh you know that that most ranchers see and let I me mean not most but many ranchers see and and their primary instinct is to you know take a take a pot shot at it these aren't like like wolves or grizzly bears, which which inflame passions in other ways, um, they're just kind of this—they're this ubiquitous feature of the landscape. You know, they're extremely cunning. They're very good predators, and they're especially problematic uh, if you're a sheep rancher. You know that you know it's it's kind of tough for a for a coyote to take down a cow, even a calf. But but for sheep and especially lambs, you know, those are a good a good coyote-sized morsel, um, <laughs> and and those are the people who really have trouble with coyotes
0: are sheep ranchers. Right. So, and just to give a perspective view here, the uh, number of coyotes killed by wildlife services in 2014 was 61,702 coyotes. The number of wolves killed about 322. Uh, Interestingly, uh, black bears, 580. So, you know, there's foxes, 2,000 and uh, mountain lions, even 305. So, um, and I, and I think, Brian, I think it's, I think it's important to note that, that that 61,000 number is
1: actually dramatically reduced from previous years, you know, when it, when it kind of hovered in the 80 to even up to 100,000 range. So, so 60,000 coyotes sounds like a lot, and, and it is a lot, but, you know, it's, it also represents actually a, a reduction in the number of, in the number of coyotes
0: that, that have been killed, which is really astounding when you think about it. Right. That's, well, that's interesting, too, because this, there's this other side of the agency. To me, it always felt like sort of like the James Bond Q shop. Uh, there's sort of like trying to figure out the technological <laughs> advances, like how are we going to do this? So yeah, Ben, you visited this place, right? It's called the Predatory Research Facility. Uh, it's in Millville, Utah. D- tell us about this place. Uh, where the heck is it? And what do they do there?
1: right so so the, the predator research facility is it's a branch of the of the national wildlife research center which is itself um, a branch of wildlife services this is kind of the scientific arm of wildlife services and this is where they study uh... non-lethal ways of of controlling predation you know of, of preventing coyotes and other predators from attacking livestock without killing those animals um, and you know everyone even even wildlife services staunchest critics agree that the research conducted at, at, at NWRC, at the National Wildlife Research Center, is incredibly valuable and very cutting edge, um, and that you know there are all kinds of techniques out there. There's using alarms and flashing lights to, to avert predation. There's, there's, this, there's this stuff called fladry, which are basically flapping red flags that you tie on a string and kind of use that to fence off your, your uh, pasture. Um, that,
0: is, that is not to be confused with
1: flatulence. <laughs> not definitely, definitely not flat. That would that would probably attract a coyote more than more than repel it. Um, yes, yeah, so there are all, there are all kinds of techniques that are being studied at, at the National Wildlife Research Center for for deterring coyotes and other animals. And uh, you know, and the and the question is how to what extent does this stuff get operationalized? You know, to, how does this this great f- research make it into the field if it does? And I think that's where that's where a lot of critics. Uh, object, you know, is, is, not that, not that, not that wildlife services doesn't study better ways of controlling predation, but that they don't
0: use them. Well, I want to back up because there was an interesting researcher in your story who works for wildlife services. Her name is Julie Young. And, um, you know, she tells you that carnivores have personalities. And so, you know, what does that, what does that mean when she says they have personalities and what does that mean for what wildlife services is trying to do?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, you know, coyotes and wolves and bears. I mean, these are these are these are intelligent. um, You know, in many cases, social animals, and uh, just like people. You know, there there are there are shy coyotes, there are bold coyotes, there are aggressive coyotes, there are you know there are timid coyotes, there are friendly coyotes. Um, You know, their their personalities kind of function along this along this very interesting uh, spectrum. You know, and a lot of a lot of the the most exciting research I think is research that acknowledges. These different personalities and says, okay, you know, if you can take um, an aggressive or a dominant coyote and and basically, you know, um, train that coyote—not not quite train it, but you know, but but somehow aversely condition it so that it doesn't want to eat sheep you know that that coyote could almost act as a, as a guard coyote you know in that he, here you have this coyote that is controlling its territory right because they're territorial animals and it's also not eating sheep so you have so you have a coyote in this area that's simultaneously not being a predator not being a predator of livestock and also keeping out the other kind of Wandering coyotes that might be a problem. So that's actually this. So this dynamic has actually been demonstrated at the National Wildlife Research Center a, a couple of times by different researchers, and uh, yeah, that's that's basically the idea. You know, is that is that by being more selective about the coyotes that that you um, let live instead of indiscriminately killing them, you know, you can actually do a better job at preventing predation than just by, you know, wiping out everything, because, because if you do that, then coyotes will immediately reestablish in territories, you know, it's very hard, it's basically impossible to eradicate coyotes from an area, they're, you know, they're incredibly hardy, they're very, they're very fast reproducing, they're amazing generalists, you know, if you wipe them all out, they're just going to come back. So, you know, maybe the answer is is keeping some around, um, you know, in a way that that manages predation instead of, you know, killing everything.
0: Right. So this kind of sets up a really interesting conflict because you have this sort of animal with a personality. Um, There are uh, good, if you will, coyotes and bad if you're a sheep farmer. Um, And then you have what Sarah was talking about earlier, which is this sort of um, a different kind of thinking about our relationship with the non-human world. So that brings us into two things I want to talk about. Uh, First is kind of what it looks like on the ground for folks um, who do the actual killing of predators um, Ben just real briefly what is what does that look like on the ground how are these things uh, how are coyotes killed and who does it
1: yeah so Wildlife services has they have what they call specialists who are basically field trappers um, and there, there are a variety of ways uh, that they kill coyotes um, obviously the shotgun is always a very popular tool there are these things called there's, there's um, these things called m44s which are basically exploding cyanide cartridges um, that a caddy would bite into and uh, and basically be poisoned. And there's lots of aerial gunning. Um, you know, you basically take a helicopter or a plane and fly overhead and and uh, you know shoot what you see down below. Um, and you know and and the techniques that that are used are they vary depending on what what county or state you're in. You know, different different states have different laws about what you can do out there. Um, and uh, so you know, so there's there's a, a lot of kind of spatial uh, heterogeneity in the, you know, in the, in the tools, in the tools that are used. But yeah, but in general, you know, it's, it's traps, it's, it's poisons and it's, uh, it's, it's the
0: gun. Right. So that sort of opens up, Sarah, a lot of criticism, right? Who, who are the critics of, uh, you know, this, this system?
2: Oh gosh. Uh, well, there's a lot. Um, I think, so the primary critics are often, uh, animal rights groups that focus primarily on animal welfare issues. Um, but I think in general, the, the, Sort of relationship between the conservation community and Wildlife Services is not a, a friendly one. So certainly on the environmental side of things, those are the primary foes. Um, and also public opinion. I mean, as Ben cites in his story, you know, there's a lot of petitions. There's a lot of antipathy towards the agency from uh, certain members of Congress. It's barely escaped being defunded a couple of times, and there have been many attempts over the years to try to kind of take it down. Certainly, the press has done quite a few. Um, exposés on some of the bad stuff that's gone on within agency ranks in terms of uh, trappers kind of being uh, overtly cruel and also beyond just, you know, the question of whether we should be killing native predators or, at all, um, there's, you know, there's some evidence that some trappers have actually relished the act and, and boasted about it and posted on social media and things like that. So, so that in general has kind of mustered a very broad segment of the public, uh, to be against this agency. So it's not even just conservation groups.
0: Right. And so for you know, for us at the magazine trying to come up with a way to write this story, we decided to do it through through the research. Um and and Sarah, maybe you could walk us through that decision. Why would we do a story that way?
2: To some extent it's part of our identity as a publication, I think. A lot of our our readers certainly have a, a span the political spectrum, but I think a lot of our readers of a more liberal mindset. They tend to be uh, you know, and uh, they care a lot about the environment. They care about wildlife. Um, that's why they subscribe to us, and and to some extent, we always want to sort of find ways into issues that expand all of our thinking about them. So we could have done uh, another expose on wildlife services, and I, I think Ben is certainly not. <laughs> he doesn't really give you know the agency a glowing. It, it's it doesn't come through as like this amazing paragon of conservation. But I think with something as complicated as what wildlife services does and as dark as what it does, I think it's important to kind of try to get inside and understand why the agency is the way it is and what it's doing with its research and, and understand why that research isn't making it into its methods. And then also, you know, if, if it is starting to change, that's an interesting and new thing. Um, you know, as, as, Ben pointed out, conservationists and, and the public as this agency has sort of come more and more into the limelight have been, against this agency for nearly a century. So um if if now after all of that time it's beginning to kind of shift that that's a fascinating thing. And and one thing Ben didn't mention when he mentioned that um that the the drop in coyote kills was uh, significant last year it actually um had stayed remarkably steady up in those 80 to 100,000 numbers ranges for decades um and so that drop is is interesting. Even if it's not a trend, um, it may be suggestive of, of other
0: forces at work in the agency. Ben, why do you think there was a drop like that?
1: Well, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a one year number, right? So it's very hard to say whether, whether the drop is, is emblematic of a shift in thinking and techniques or just a a blip, you know, I I think that it'll, it'll take, it'll take years before, you know, we we before we understand whether whether or not there's any kind of trend here towards towards less killing, if it is a trend, um, you know it'll it'll be because um, the scientists basically won out. I think you know I think that that uh, there is this, you know there there are lots of researchers you know who have left the agency and you know and, and talked about the need for for less indiscriminate killing, and uh, you know if, if coyote killing really is decreasing, which again you know it's, it's too early to say that that's true. It will be because, you know, I think this agency has, has recognized that there are other ways of doing things.
0: I want to go back just a little bit to the uh, predatory research facility because I'm, I'm interested in the sort of relationship um, there between the researchers and the coyotes. So, you know, Ben, you went there. Sort of describe the place and describe the people and their relationship with the coyotes there.
1: So, so the place is basically, it's, it's this big compound. I think it's like 160 acres or so, um, and they have these these fenced-off pens um, in which the coyotes live and, and uh you know some of the some of the pens they have they have different um, sort of structures for them to to climb over and uh, and recreate basically um, you know and they and they conduct various experiments in the uh you know in these pens i mean each each coyote has has ear tags um and the people there, you know, the, I mean, the people there are, they're, they're animal lovers, honestly. They're, they're, they're people who, who do this work because they love being around these animals. And, you know, and they think that, uh, that through studying them, they can, they can basically protect more of them in the wild. You know, that's the I guess that was the part that's fascinating to me, you know, is that, is that whatever you think of how the agency operates, the people who work for the agency identify as conservationists. You know their their approach to conservation is is different than somebody who works at the Humane Society. Um, you know I think that I think that they think of themselves as being more pragmatic in some ways than you know than than a kind of a dyed-in-the-wool animal rights activist. You can kind of quibble over what pragmatism means in the, in that context, but these are people who who are there because they love animals. You know, and they and they told me as such. Lots of the critics of the agency, you know, see the field trappers who who. You know, have done some really reprehensible things. I mean, some of the some of the stories involving field trappers' treatment of of especially coyotes is, is really uh, deplorable. You know, people sicking their their dogs on coyotes and, and posting pictures to Facebook of you know these these kind of these helpless animals being being torn apart. Um, you know that that has happened. I mean, there you know there's there there are people who have trapped their neighbors' dogs deliberately. Um, you know, there are some some really some really um, alarming stories out there. Um, you know, and I think, that's, I think that, that that culture is, is unmistakably present. Um, but at the same time, you know, lots of the people who work for the agency, um, again, I mean, I, even the vast majority, I would say, you know, are, are people who are basically trying to, you know, they feel like they're trying to help their neighbor, you know, they're trying to take care of problem wildlife, so that so, you know, so that their friends and neighbors uh, benefit, you know, and they're people who consider themselves conservationists, even if their definition of conservationist does not align with Um, societies in many cases.
0: So do you think that the people that work at the uh, research facility, was there a sense of frustration or anger or disappointment on their part that the research that they do doesn't go further in terms of non-lethal predator control?
1: No, people who work there, I think, are you know they, they certainly say the right things, you know about uh. about about the agency's mission. But you know, I will say that, that that there are you know a few scientists who have left the agency, you know, who have who have been outspoken against its techniques. You know, there's a, there's a guy named Mike Yeager um, who who left Wildlife Services, who worked who worked at, at NWRC, and he spoke out against uh, indiscriminate killing. And uh, an, another guy interviewed in my story is a guy named John Shivik, Um who left, who left the National Wildlife Research Center in, uh, in 2009, I believe. Um, and uh, a couple of years ago, wrote a book called The Predator Paradox, which, you know, doesn't exactly tear wildlife services apart, but it does point toward the value of new methods and, and the need for less indiscriminate killing and for ending what he calls, you know, our, our war on predators. So I think that, you know, whatever the people who are currently in the agency say, and, you know, again, they certainly support the agency vocally, you know, the, the people who have left the agency... Are less positive about it. I think you know, and there have also been a number of whistleblowers too, trappers who you know who observed um, illegal behavior among their fellow trappers and and basically uh, blew the whistle. So, yeah, it's it's kind of a mixed bag, I guess.
0: So if you're just tuning in, this is West Obsessed. This is where the writers and editors of High Country News talk about some of the uh, most interesting or important stories for the region. Uh, I'm Brian Calvert. I'm the managing editor of High Country News, and I'm here with Sarah Gilman, a contributing editor, and Ben Goldfarb, a correspondent for the magazine. Uh, We're talking about Wildlife Services, which is a federal agency that's tasked with sort of killing predators, um, often and among other jobs. Uh, and we're kind of getting into this idea where even within the agency itself, there's a changing mindset. I'm just fascinated by the fact that inside this agency that's known, if you know them at all, for the killing of predators, there are these people who are trying to figure out non-lethal ways to control predators. What do you think that means sort of in a Bureaucratic meets philosophical problem. You know what's the what's the prognosis for our relationship to wild animals, especially predators? I mean, I
1: guess I guess the thing that I wanted to say, and I'm, I'm going to answer this question less from a philosophical standpoint than from a policy one. Um, I mean, one of the things that you, have to, you have to remember about wildlife services is that it's it, people talk about uh, it using public money to control predators, but but public funding only constitutes. Half the agency's funding. It has this very interesting um, model where it basically collects money from its its so-called uh, partners, um, you know, states, counties, municipalities, even individual ranchers and businesses. Um, and uh, so, you know, so so in a way, it's it's um, you know, it's often called beholden to those to those stakeholders, right? The people who who are actually uh, paying its bills in many cases, you know. So, the, so the issue is that even as broader public sentiment towards predators changes, um, you know, the the sentiment of of individual ranchers in many cases. Kind of remains very anti-predator, um, and and the issue is that wildlife services again is basically I mean these are the people who who pay the bills right are 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 these you know are these ranchers who in most cases are very much against the federal government or in many cases I should say are you know are kind of anti-federal government but you know when it comes to predators um, you know really appreciate the the coyote killing support you know I mean the Hammonds the, the famous Oregon ranchers who basically uh, you know whose arrest started the the Malheur conflict I mean they had the, the federal government killing coyotes on their property so I think that's really the issue is that you know is that is that no matter how much public sentiment towards towards wildlife changes you know, wildlife services is still responding to the people who pay their bills.
2: Ben's capsulates it really well. The agency is has sort of like proceeded a quarter of the way down the same path that everybody else has gone on towards. And even though there are promising signs that it's changed, um, they're they're tiny relative to the the actual impact it has on the ground. I mean, as Ben cites in the story, the body counts. Uh, of wildlife killed are mostly level. So even though it's it's mounting more efforts to educate ranchers on non lethal methods, even though it is doing all of this research, even though it's doing a fair amount of visible things that are encouraging the adoption of le- non lethal methods, it's not really financially supporting them in the same way as it financially supports killing. And in fact, as as Ben cites in the story, you know, it's even going after counties, more progressive counties that try to strike out on their own based on, you know, science that shows non-lethal methods are effective and and to try to kind of mediate this human-wildlife conflict in a really different way. It's actively tried to suppress um, the spread of programs like one that has popped up in Marin County, California. Um, and I think that that kind of speaks to an antipathy that's still very alive at the agency despite all of this lip service to non-lethal and obviously despite its own research supporting that. Um, and I don't know if you want to ask about that, but Ben might have things to add to that. Well,
0: what I did want to ask was Ben, like, what did you wrestle with the most personally uh, reporting and writing this story? Was it hard to be sympathetic to some of the folks at wildlife services, or um, did you think they're really misunderstood?
2: Well,
1: you know one of the one of the things that I often heard from from ranchers, and I think this is a, you know an important thing to keep in mind is that it's hard for us as non-ranchers, you know, as people who, whose primary interaction with the natural world is, is through recreation, right? That's, I mean, that's how I experience nature is, you know, is by getting out there and, and hiking. And, you know, and for, and for me, I mean, seeing a, a coyote or a, or a bear or whatever is, you know, is really a fantastic thrill. But that for ranchers, you know, these are at least the way they perceive them is, you know, as, as an existential threat, and you know I, I think that that's something that that uh, you know that we sometimes fail to appreciate, and that really informs uh, you know many ranchers' approach to carnivores. And I think even if I can't quite empathize with that, you know, I, I certainly tried to sympathize with that. you know that that for these I mean for lots of people, you know they gr- they grew up hearing that coyotes are are the devil and the enemy. You know, that coyotes do kill livestock. There's no there's no doubt about that. You know, whether they kill it in the kind of the same prodigious numbers that ranchers often say they do is another question. So I think that's one of the one of the exciting and challenging parts of reporting, you know, is trying to put yourself into the shoes of a person with a with a fundamentally different worldview than you. And for me that was, you know, that was one of the really interesting things about this story was seeing these predators through different eyes.
0: Uh, Sarah, what what do you think you learned from this story? What did you take away from this when all was uh, said and done?
2: the larger message for me with these these efforts, and it's not just um efforts to kill coyotes, but we we have the most complicated relationships with animals that are the most like us in a lot of ways. So coyotes, as Ben said, you know, they are so smart and adaptable and they, you know, their populations have exploded across the United States. They didn't used to be everywhere, but now they are everywhere. And so they conflict with us in a lot of direct ways. Um and so one of the ways that we we relate to them I think because they are so much like us and this is why people love them so much and we don't like them because they are so much like us and they learn very quickly, you know, what 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 they how they can, you know, get around things like fl- flattery and and things like that. It makes them very difficult to deal with. And so um, you know like so many other things, you know, I You know, I've been covering spotted owls recently for a different magazine. Uh, You know, there's a federal experiment right now to kill barred owls, and barred owls are very versatile. They're habitat generalists. They fill up available habitat. They eat everything. And so even though they're, you know, native to one stretch of the United States and they're wild and beautiful birds, they're difficult for us to deal with because they challenge our values, um, so we admire them, and then also we end up killing them for the same reasons we admire them. Um, so I guess the takeaway for me is sort of is sort of a broader one about um, how we how we deal with wildlife that overlaps with our own needs. Um, in ways that are really uncomfortable uh, and actually is supported in ways by our expansion. Um, and, you know, arguably, coyotes have been supported by our expansion and by our campaigns against other predators, particularly wolves. So, yeah, I guess that that's the takeaway for me. It's a little bit more of a muddy one, but
0: there's nothing wrong with muddy takeaway that's my yeah <laughs>
2: all this all that stuff is like it's so
1: is so muddy i mean I feel, I feel like a lot of the wildlife services co- coverage out there draws these these very clean lines about what is right and what is wrong and i you know and i think that i mean i think that on a like very visceral level you know i think that i think that that killing a wild a wild animal another a fellow being of ours um you know that that basically hasn't caused offense but because it's there and you see it from a helicopter i mean i think you know i think that that i think that that there is something profoundly wrong about that. But I also think that, you know, that a lot of the vilification of wildlife services isn't isn't quite right either because, you know, because they're performing a service that you know that would that would be happening even if they didn't exist in many cases. So, you know, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's all, all this stuff is so muddy, man. It's, it's
0: crazy. Well, let me ask you this, though, Ben. Like, What do you think would be a good next step for wildlife services? Or what would be a good way to support the positive aspects of wildlife services? That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: you know, I, yeah, I, th- I think that, um, I mean, I, I think that one really crucial thing is, just, you know, it's just, it's just sort of continuing rancher education groups like like NRDC or you know are, are doing this and and defenders of wildlife are doing this you know just trying to get more of these tools into the into the hands of ranchers um, and uh, you know again that i mean that, i think that, that that you know that that activists try to affect change from the top down you know that that the idea is like by by writing petitions to you know to washington dc and by trying to influence the agency uh you know at its headquarters uh, you know trying to influence the, the department of agriculture you know that's the way to go about it but again i mean because of this because of this unique funding model you know the the the, the agency is is really following marching orders from its its cooperators on the ground um, and you know and, the, and those are the people that you really have to that you have to reach out to you know if you're going if you're going to make much progress on this it comes back to you know resolving a lot of the old conflicts between ranchers and environmentalists
2: I think too, like along those lines, I think it's important for people to recognize that if you just made wildlife services go away, there would be a vacuum there. Like there is a real conflict and need for mediation between, um, between agriculture and, and, as Ben points out, the animals that we sort of love, the, the sheep, et cetera, the pets and, and wildlife. You can't just assume that if we leave it alone, it's going to be fine. Um, because that has not been the case. I mean, if you look at you know, on the front range with coyotes uh, moving into suburban neighborhoods and, and causing all sorts of interesting problems, with people not being able to live with them. It's It's not something that we're very good at not doing anything about. And so making wildlife services disappear is not really solving the issue, but making it different might be something worth doing.
0: All right. I think that's all we have time for today. Uh, I've been talking with Sarah Gilman, one of our contributing editors at High Country News, and Ben Goldfarb, one of our correspondents. Uh, You can listen to this show again at kvnf.org, and you can learn more about wildlife services at hcn.org. For West Obsessed, I'm Brian Calvert, and thanks for listening.